You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 207 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Monday evening. We are a day late, and that is my fault. But joining me this week is Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's going on, Brad? Yeah, we have some some real-life baseball to talk about this week, which is nice. Even if the games don't mean anything, it is nice to have some real baseball to chat about. Yeah, uh, and obviously the meat of this podcast, which you've already clicked on, is the bullpen preview, which we'll do at the in the second half of the show. But there is some news, and as you mentioned, there are some actual results, albeit ones that don't necessarily matter all that much, but there are results to discuss. And uh, as a housekeeping note, real quickly here, we are still going to be our we're still going to be a Sunday, a Sunday night podcast for the most part. But um, my travel schedule is pretty insane until the end of the NCAA tournament, which is uh, you know beginning of April. So. We'll see what we can do on Sunday night podcast, but uh, Scott was a trooper this time around Monday night and we're only a day late and didn't miss too much here. So, all right, let's dive in. Uh, the one piece of news that happened kind of hilariously last Monday. So right on, right on schedule for us to have a Sunday night podcast followed by Monday, huh. Monday morning news. Never the, fails. Yes. Always was the uh, contract extensions for both Brian Snicker and Alex Anthopoulos. Anthopoulos is now under under contract through 2024, and he got a title bump, so he got promoted to whatever is president of baseball operations or something like that. Nothing terribly changes there, but he's the guy. He's in charge. No surprise there. He's drawn rave reviews in his time so far, um, and obviously he'll be in, he'll be around now for quite a few more years. And then the Brian Snicker extension, which at least for me, this is me talking now, was not a huge surprise. People were, were more surprised than I was about this. I think it was kind of always likely because in general, and you can debate the merits of this, but in general, teams in pretty much every sport do not like to have their manager or coach be lame ducks, and Snicker was only signed through this season. So extending him for one year basically just removes the lame duck label from him. I think if it was, you know, it's not exactly a long-term commitment to Brian Snicker, who is an older guy. It's not like a it's not like a three-year extension. It's it's a one-year deal to keep him out of lame, lame duck status. So I think it was kind of expected, at least in my mind. But I say all that to uh, tee you up to maybe you disagree with me, but that's kind of how I felt about the extensions. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm out here on the West Coast, so I think the news broke early. If memory serves, it broke at like nine Eastern, which is it early. Was a, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a it was a Monday morning uh, official release by the Braves. As usual, no one broke the news. The Braves announced it, which is always fun. yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, so I mean, when I saw it a few hours after, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like as you said, it's weird for managers or coaches or whoever to be on one year deals, especially somebody like Snicker who. Uh, you know, you and I and, and everybody have, have discussed what he does well and what he doesn't do well. Um, 
But I think the results speak for themselves. The team has averaged 93, 94 wins the last two years. Um, it, it made sense. The players love him, so on and so forth. And, and then Anthopolis, I, I, we've also talked about how he kind of inherited and walked into a gold mine. And to his credit, he didn't tear things down. He's been patient. He's done more, um, you know, added and subtracted here and there instead of overhauled a, a roster, not that he necessarily needed to. Uh, but I, I do feel, and I think most people agree, that they feel like they're in pretty good hands with Anthopolis running the show. He's very level-headed, very methodical. He hasn't rushed out and gotten himself in any bad deals. I, I guess it's fair to ask if uh, you know if, if he's needed to do more to push the team over the hump, especially last year. Um, but alas, I think there's also only so much a GM can do. So much of it comes down to what actually happens on the field and, and baseball being baseball. So. Um, wasn't super surprised by either one. And, and I think the Braves are in pretty good hands and uh, it does give them a little bit of security here moving forward. Yeah. I think as far as Anthopolis is concerned and, you know, like you said, Snicker has been litigated to the nth degree. So I'm not even going to talk about that anymore. It's like, that made sense. That's what happens. Um, Anthopolis, I think has just done a good job. Has he like batted a thousand every move? No, but I, I think universally he's kind of had, he has a pretty high approval rating so the fact that you want to invest in him and in general front office executives need a longer leash to do their job well um so you want to have that guy signed for a long period of time so he's not doing win not moves trying to keep his job you want to be um kind of having that be the uh, i would say having the future be the emphasis and i know the braves are in win not mode to a certain extent right now and they probably should be considering their roster but you still want to have a guy who can keeping kind of keep both plates spinning um having the win now portion and the future facing portion and i think Anthopolis has done a pretty pretty darn good job since he's gotten here so that's my editorializing but i think it's uh kind of a no-brainer to extend him if he was available and willing to do so yeah, and I agree. And I, I like to live by the how long would he stay unemployed if he lost <laughs> his job? I, I mean, I truly think it would take like a week or two unless he wanted to take time off before somebody snapped him up as like a, you know, a VP of baseball ops or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, he's obviously a very smart guy, a guy who's really changed. I mean, I guess while we're on the topic, you think about his reputation and who he was with the Blue Jays when he first came up and, and obviously kind of pushed all the chips in there in Toronto and Hey, they made the playoffs a couple times and went to the ALCS. Uh, but they're now kind of stuck in rebuilding a bit because he did push the chips in. Then he goes to the Dodgers who are really just a very well-run ball club. They have all the resources in the world and they utilize them very well. Um, it's kind of like a mixture of the two from what Anthopolis has done with the Braves. And um, I think he's, he's learned. He, he says he's learned from his time with both places. And, and as we just said, I think, uh, you can do a whole lot worse with them running your ball club from, from top to bottom. Yep. Um, I'm a fan of what he's done. So there you go on that. I have nothing else to add. Good stuff. Um, we'll move on from there uh, to a couple of interesting stories yeah. uh, that made the rounds this week for different reasons. Uh, the first one's the more recent one that came out on Monday from Jeff Schultz of The Athletic. And I would definitely encourage people to read this story. I know it's behind a paywall, but The Athletic is worth subscribing to. And go ahead and check that out. Uh, I know Jeff. He's a good guy. Um, I would say the takeaway from that is about Freddie Freeman. And the takeaway that people were jumping on, including myself, was that Freddie was apparently on quite a painkilling regiment last year. Um, in some ways, this is not a huge surprise because he was very, doc- I would say it's been documented well that he was quite injured at the end of last season. And we talked about this a ton, so I don't want to do too much about it because we, we kind of stated our opinions about how crazy it was that he was playing every single day with the spot that he was in. But apparently he was taking quite a bit of medication and some, I guess um, Schultz did 
uh, clarify on Twitter when people were asking him after the fact that the medical staff was overseeing all of this. So he was not just taking pills. He was being, I don't know if it's, I don't, know if, I don't I'm not sure if prescribed is the right word, but he's being administered um, medicines by the training staff, the medical staff. Mm-hmm. But uh, among the story notes um, was that Freddie said he was getting, he was actually getting blurry vision. If he took the pills too late and too close to the game, there were lots of, takeaways, including this quote I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to let you respond. Um, This is a quote from Freddie Freeman. If I wasn't taking the really hard pain pills, I was taking as many extra strength Tylenols as I could, end quote. So when I hear really hard pain pills, that's not great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think. It's not. And the reaction was the reaction is pretty negative. I mean, again, we've we kind of done the whole like Freddie should have been playing thing. So that goes without saying, I think. But this is kind of a new data point to say like how crazy it was that he was playing and there's something to be i guess admired about freddie's just desire to play but man this seems like it's going too far to have anybody much less your face of the franchise guy doing this it's not great yeah i mean it's it's a concern not just from an on-field perspective but off field i mean it's such a I mean, not to go too off the rails here, but I mean, it's such a problem in this country and, and pain pills and they're, you worry. I mean, I, I remember when I read the story a few hours ago, it was like, oh my goodness, this is more than uh, my back kind of hurt. And I took an, an Advil every now and then whenever it tightens up. I mean, as we said, these are the hard, heavy duty pain pills. Um, you know, nobody should have to, whether you're a professional athlete or not, nobody should have to more or less rely on them every single day in order to, to get through whatever you need to do on a daily basis. So, um, you know, hopefully Freddie said that this is the best his elbow has felt felt in years. Let's hope it never, ever gets to the point it was a few months ago where, I mean, I can only imagine if, if an elbow is requiring you to take two heavy duty pain pills, uh, you can only imagine what that was like for him, let alone trying to be a productive big leaguer in the middle of a playoff push and in the playoffs. So, um, it's really, it was a jarring story to me reading it is, as you said, I highly encourage people who, whether you have the athletic or not, it's worth a subscription to read. Um, but really a jarring story and, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was just kind of blown away by it, I guess is my ultimate takeaway. Yeah. Um, and just as a one final note here, it was made clear that, you know, Freddie understood the risks. There was even a question posed by Schultz about, um, addiction stuff. So I'm, I'm glad that Jeff, followed up and didn't just take the answers as they were given originally. That's good um, reporting from Jeff to not just be like, oh, cool, this happened and not like poke and prod a bit on this because, you know, people were bringing up some stuff that's happened, like the Tyler Skaggs stuff. And there's, there's been some not great things that have happened with, with pills. And it's not necessarily that it's not, not necessarily uh, apples to apples here, but when you're talking about, you know, pretty high end and what Freddie described again, as I'm quoting really hard pain pills end quote, that is a, potentially scary so at least there was some digging in done there and it seems like he's playing uh not, not, not necessarily playing but like feeling fine now won't need them but um yeah not great read it i would say read that story we'll spend no more time on it for now but uh yeah the reactions were justified i think for the most part. <laughs> yeah, i really couldn't believe it when i saw it come across it yeah like... same i didn't i actually didn't know what was going on until i found the story I, I saw people talking about the story and that's something i always try to do is to read the actual story because people on twitter are not, are not always 100 percent accurate and in passing information along so yeah. reading the story itself is a good idea okay the other controversial story uh much less in in terms of uh it was not i don't know what i'm not even sure how to, how to describe this it was very different in nature um 
Kelsey Lingard is no longer going to be the Brave sideline reporter, and that came out about a week ago now, so it's not quite as uh, hot of a story at this moment. But um, that was a surprise, to be sure, uh, including the fact that it broke in The Athletic, um, and uh, Dave O'Brien was one of the people that reported on that, and he seemed genuinely surprised by it. And whenever you have a reporter breaking a story and passing along repeatedly in on Twitter that he was stunned by the by the news despite the fact that he was the one reporting it that's not new that's not normal um so there's a little bit interesting and uh I, I would say Braves fans got pretty upset about this um, <laughs> just I, a little I yeah. think that um in general and by the way I'll say this now so I don't have to make sure I say it again five times I think Kelsey did a good job this is not anything about Kelsey I think Kelsey did a good job and it was weird and I, I was surprised as well but this kind of stuff just happens in the media profession so it wasn't necessarily as someone who's kind of covered sports media in the past I wasn't like as stunned as everybody else was and that's not about her it's just that that's kind of the stuff that happens contracts run out um I thought it was noteworthy that in the story and later this was a uh, this was sort of confirmed that the Braves have final say on the broadcast um, talent. That is interesting to me. I'm not stunned by that, but um, it wasn't as if Kelsey was uh, anti-Brave. She was very pro-Braves on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, on one hand, it's stunning in some respects. And I think the reaction was a little bit too far, but also kind of justified because people just like their people that they like and Kelsey did a good job and people like her. Um, and I was glad to see most people welcoming the new person with open mm-hmm. arms, but there was some nastiness, which I didn't appreciate. Like it's no one's fault that they came and took the job. That's, that's kind of what happens. People, people get jobs, but we should spend two minutes on this just because it's not yeah. a baseball story, but it, it does affect everyone because everybody watches the Braves. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was surprised when I saw it come through. I, Kelsey, I thought did a terrific job. Uh, the few years she was with the team. Um, as you said, we, we are not privy to information, contract negotiations, no. what goes on beyond the camera. Uh, who knows what, what happened? Um, I will say, though, that now that she's gone, it is, as you said, they they hired – her name is escaping me, but I, I believe it was a former uh, Cubs sideline reporter who they've, who they've hired moving forward and um, – you know, again, it was it, it was a bit of a surprise to me, and, and I, I think Kelsey added a lot to the broadcast, and we'll miss her. Um, I was amazed at some of the reaction, uh, <laughs> um, like people saying they were done watching the home broadcast yeah, and stuff boy, like that. Boy, boycotting the broadcast was a little bit Yeah, much. And, uh, and, you know, hey, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But I, I thought that was a tad extreme, but hey, uh, teach their own. But yeah, she'll be missed, uh, and I'm sure she's she will land on her feet, and... Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's my hot take on it. Yeah. I have no doubt that she'll land somewhere else and Kelsey did a good job. So, um, no shade whatsoever there. I think she will do well wherever she goes and I have, uh, I'm pretty confident she'll have a job sooner rather than later. Cause she is good. Um, and it, by the way, the, uh, her replacement is Kelly, I believe it's cruel or cruel. I'm not sure how to say that. Name. She looks, she looks just like Kelsey, like if <laughs> like identical almost, I, I forget who posted a picture, but it was like when you try to replace one employee with another and see if anyone notices um so that'll be i'm sure that'll get a good laugh every now and then my uh my drive-by hot take was that kelsey was not the problem on the broadcast that's all i'll say that i agree with you not the problem on the broadcast okay uh back to baseball for the rest of the podcast um spring training stuff we'll not spend a ton of time on results and stuff but there was a mini scare with mike soroka this week, which is not great for your number one starter. Um, he was pushed back after uh, what was described as a tweak. Um, that's not what you want to hear about Soroka, but 
he threw live he threw live BP on Monday, and uh, from all reports, that went well. So he's on track to make his spring debut in terms of an actual game performance on Friday. Um, so that's that's good. But uh, did you have the same reaction that I did? As soon as I saw a tweak, I was like, oh no, we can't. Uh, that's not something that you want to see, particularly with no. Cole Hamels already uh, yeah. s- sidelined and delayed. Uh, Soroka as the team's best pitcher, uh, not great to see anything like that. No. But apparently, it's going okay now. Yeah, if you if you believe Brian Snicker, who talked, I think, on one of the weekend broadcasts, he really did make it seem like it was a pretty minor thing. And it was just one of those, hey, it's February 20, whatever. Let's give him a day or two to kind of rest and, and push him back a day for his spring debut. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Cole Hamels injury. And because of that, uh, you feel OK about the rotation right now with Soroka, Freed, Fulte and whoever else rounds it out. But obviously, you can't lose Soroka for any point. Uh, this year if, if they're going to have a successful year they need him to throw you know and make 30 starts or whatever it may be um, but you know again if if it really is just a minor tweak I'd rather them be safe than sorry especially this time of year and hopefully he looks good and gets his work in and, and then he's ready to go because you know we're about a month away now from from opening day maybe a little bit more um, but again you have plenty of time to build up arm strength it doesn't seem like he's really at risk of missing any time, but as you said, it was worth mentioning. And anytime you do see a tweaked groin, just because those injuries can be so tricky, uh, you do have to hold your breath a little bit. Yeah, if it wasn't Soroka, I probably wouldn't have uh, talked about it on the podcast. Um, yeah, but it was Soroka, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they're going to need him to be good at baseball this year. Um, and that goes kind of goes without saying. But yeah, we'll talk about him and the rest of the rotation on our rotation preview podcast. But there you go. On that, um, as for actual results, the Braves have now played three times. Um, they won their opener against Baltimore, who Baltimore's bad, man. Uh, that was the Felix Hernandez experience. Uh, on Sunday, they lost against Detroit, and then uh, they lost today. Uh, there were some Max Freed hot takes floating around. People were mad at Max Freed, which I could not believe was a real thing, but um, I know one of them I saw from Gabe Burns of the AJC, shots to Gabe. He quote tweeted somebody that wanted uh, Max Fried um, sent to the minor league camp, and they were not joking, which I oh thought my was God. absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I didn't see that. That's amazing. It was amazing. Holy, he uh, he enjoyed it. Um, but I mean, I have no takes about this. Uh, you know, pitching is usually what I kind of focus on at in the early portion. But gr- I will say this: I've seen about two innings total in three days. I had to travel, so I was not dialed in on these three games. Do you have any takes on uh, what's transpired yeah. so far? The only fun thing is through three games. I tweeted this: through three games, the Braves have eighteen hits, and all eighteen of them have been singles. Oh, I saw they that. That, that, a, that blew my mind when I saw that. A single. I mean, just like mathematically with baseball, that's hard to believe. I mean, it's it's just a silly thing, right? Like if if we go through the first three games of the Diamondback series to open the year and they have 18 singles and nothing else, then you can probably re- <laughs> ask some questions. But alas, I, I found that pretty funny after three meaningless games. Um, as you said, there is zero reason to care about these results, especially the first week of spring training. Uh, you know, it's it's truly uh, players go out there, get their swings. And like I think Acuna has swung at the first pitch in every at bat so far, <laughs> like to give you an idea of how much, I mean, I don't want to say Ronald doesn't want to be out there, but that's kind of the mindset. The guys want to get their work in and get out. Yeah, I, uh, I, I get it to be sure. I have no, I have no takes. That's, that's how I feel about this, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three games. It's in. been well, three games of go. spring training baseball, and we'll come back and talk more about that stuff when there are things to discuss. Uh, Felix, Felix was the topic of conversation in the game in the first game. It was max free today. And, you know, draw, draw what you will from those two performances. 
Uh, last baseball thing before we get to uh, a break and the bullpen preview. Uh, the Keith Law Top 100 came out, and I, I usually leave this stuff to Eric and, and the boys, but I figured it, this got a lot of attention today, and Keith Law is a big name. He's now at the Athletic, which means it's behind the paywall. Um, but I saw this, the Braves... Uh, have six guys in the top hundred, which is a good thing, I would say. Um, that's one of the, I believe, yeah, that was that's tied for the most of any team. Um, but the uh, the headliner became a negative one, where it, you know it could have been that Christian Pache was number five, which is as high as, I, as I've ever seen him in a ranking. Have you ever seen him that high? Um, that's no, me. no, that's really high for him. That was very high for Pache. So there you go, that's a positive thing. But Drew Waters did not make the top one hundred at all, and that became the story. And you know, again, I am a very, very primitive prospect evaluator. Um, I was stunned by that just because of what our guys think of him and what every other list thinks of him. I've never seen him below like 60th, I don't think, in any list, um, at least recently. And to go from that to being out of the top 100 and behind guys like Contreras and Shoemake for the Braves... That surprised people, and uh, I don't have. I don't. I don't really care. I, people, people were like violently mad about this, and I was not. But I did. I, I did raise my eyebrows. I'll be honest. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a surprise uh, when I read through it. I was like, oh, that's cool. Wow, that's an aggressive ranking. And Ian Anderson was twenty-seven, and um, he was really bullish on on uh, William Contreras and uh, Braden Shoemaker. You mentioned and talked about Kyle Wright taking the next step, and then you read through it and you're like, oh, wait a minute, did I miss Drew Waters? Where Where is he? <laughs> and then you do the control F and you realize he's not listed. And um, Keith did talk about it a little bit in the comments. So I didn't go too deep, but basically uh, said that Keith relied on a mix of scouting reports and people he's talked with and determined that waters wasn't one of the top hundred prospects in baseball. That is his prerogative. It is his list. <laughs> and a, by if, the way, this is a, this is a rare time when there is one, it's, it's actually, it's actually the only time of all the major lists that come out. They're all compilations of people on their stabs. This is the only Keith law is the only person. And I actually respect him for this that does his own and publishes it under his own name and says, this is, yeah. this is my list. And as someone who does that kind of thing for NBA stuff, it is tough to do, and you make yourself mm -hmm. vulnerable a little bit. And granted, this is his job. He's paid handsomely for it. I'm very sure about that because he got stolen by the athletic. I'm sure he's making a lot of money, so I get it. But yeah, like there is some vulnerability to the fact that you put on the list sure. that's yours and yours alone, and there's nowhere to deflect. So, yeah. I mean, I'm okay with it if that's what he thinks. I mean, people were upset about this, and I, and I get it, but you know, evaluations are different on different guys, and um, I think – the fact that he didn't make the top 100 was stunning to me, but it's not much different than, you know, you'll see like a pipeline list versus our list or a fan graphs list and a guy and a guy, a single guy will be you know 50, 50 spots apart on those lists. And that's a huge drop. Like Pache, for instance, has never been, has never been as high as five anywhere. I've seen him as low as like the what thirties or forties on some yeah. lists. Yep. Like that's a massive gap too. So that kind of illustrates the, 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 the change. And maybe, maybe Keith Law had, had waters at like one Oh two. We don't know. But maybe he did. And like 102 versus like if Waters had been 80th, would people have been losing their minds? I mean, maybe a little bit, but not yeah. as much. Yeah. And again, I mean, it's it's one man's opinion. And yeah. he may be absolutely right. In three years, we go, oh, I remember Drew Waters. He was supposed to be so good. And, you know, he never made it. Or it's, you know, we, we get to make fun of Keith and tweet at him every single time Waters does good if he's a 300 hitter in the big leagues like some people think he will be. So, um, yeah, it's you know, I, I always laugh. Uh, the oh, so and so writer hates my team. Like, no, he doesn't. Come on, no, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. But he had Pache at five. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't hate. It's I think it's the third time in four years he's had 
the most Braves on his list, or at least tied with other teams for the most uh, prospects in the top 100. But um, anyway, it was yeah. I mean, it certainly got people talking, and, and you know whether you think Drew Waters is is going to be a superstar or you don't think he's a top 100 prospect. It nonetheless, it's fun to talk about, and um, I, I guess the I guess the proof will be in the pudding, and and uh, and see what happens. Yeah, I uh, I'm with you all the way, and we'll see about we'll see about Drew Waters. I, I do agree with you though wholeheartedly that the whole like Keith Law's anti Braves thing is just absolute nonsense. Like, look at the list. Um, he he's low yeah. on Drew Waters. That's 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 a statement of fact. He is sure. lower on Drew Waters than everybody else is. Um, but he's also higher on Christian Bache than everybody else is. So yeah. does that mean he hates the Braves? I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, and way higher on guys like Braden Shoemaker and William Contreras. Than yeah. And I mean, he's always been a big Bryce Wilson fan. I think to his credit, he jumped on the Bryce Wilson train before basically anybody else. Um, and Anderson, he had Anderson top 30, and that's higher than he's been in a lot of places. And yeah, I think in general, he was higher on the Braves guys, just not Drew Waters. <laughs> and you know what? Again, like these are his personal rankings. If any prospect guru had these down to a science, guess what? They wouldn't be writing about prospects. They'd be a very high up executive for some major league team and very much in demand. So, yeah, I think we're, uh, yeah. we're, we're all covered. And, uh, Hey Keith, if you want to come on the podcast, you're invited. If you're there you go. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> all <laughs> right. Maybe a little busy. Yeah. And by the way, if he came on the podcast, we would have him on road to Atlanta cause they'd be much more, uh, they'd be much better at asking questions than I would be, but alas. All right, let's take a quick break, Scott. We'll come right back and we'll talk about the bullpen because it's bullpen preview time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. All right, Scott, it is bullpen preview time. The first of our, I would say four, maybe even five part preview series. We'll do bullpen, we'll do rotation, we'll do lineup, we'll do predictions, et cetera, et cetera. But the bullpen, I usually put that first. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's the least uh, sexy of the all, all the all the things, but the Braves invested heavily in the bullpen. We're gonna wait till the end to talk about the guys who are locks for the bullpen. But as a preview, I think there are six like absolute dead bang locks for this bullpen, barring injury. Yeah, yeah. Um, you agree with that? Is that where you are on this? Um, yes, without teasing too much. I mean, yeah, it, it depends what happens with a certain left-handed starting yes. pitcher slash reliever, but yes, I think... He becomes the seventh if, if, if he doesn't make the rotation, I would say that. Assuming health, which is obviously a question for a couple of guys, but yes, yeah. if healthy, I think there are six locks with big contracts who, yeah. Yeah, six guys who are going to be there unless they get hurt. Um, and then you have a bunch of other guys that could make it. So, we'll go with the guys who, just for quick thoughts, we don't have to dive too deep into, into these guys, but um, there's a bunch of names that I wrote down, and I'm wondering if they will have a chance to make the bullpen. I think, uh, this is not in any particular order, uh, but this one kind of is. Uh, I think the first name that I'll throw at you is Grant Dayton. 
Grant mm-hmm. Dayton has has been on a couple of the projected bullpens that I've seen from some people, both nationally and locally, as a guy who would make the bullpen. Um, and I can see why he is, um, other than Will Smith, who is obviously going to be on the team, um, he's a lefty, and the Braves might want one of those. But as a segue to talk about the sort of broad nature of this, the three batter minimum makes it to where you probably don't necessarily have to have as many loogies as you used to have. Um, and Great Dayton's main value, I would say not his only value, but his main value to this bullpen would be that he is left-handed and the yeah. Braves don't have a lot of that. So um, what do you think about Grant Dayton as a pitcher? Um, and and if you want to get into the fact that, I, I guess, like how the new rules might impact the way the bullpen might look. Yeah, I think the new rule will certainly add a new element to it. I do think one thing that's being overlooked is the fact that if a pitcher finishes the inning, he's no longer required to get the three outs. So if you know, if all of a sudden there's a situation where Juan Soto is coming up or Bryce Harper comes up and there's two outs, you know, I guess it doesn't necessarily change things all that much because you probably want to play that matchup anyway. I guess you're playing the game of, well, if they don't get him out, then you have to maybe face a right-handed batter or at most two of them. Um, but alas, I, I, so I'm not sure. I think it's something that me personally, I don't think it's going to change the game all that much. Um, maybe it'll feel weird for a couple of weeks until we get used to it. But I think it's one of those things we're going to get used to maybe sooner rather than later. Um, as far as Grant Dayton goes, I don't have a super hot take on him. The only thing that I find interesting about him is the Braves have gone out of their way to keep him around for multiple years now, despite a couple of injuries. Um, his numbers in whatever level he's been at are pretty encouraging. If you, you know, he struck out a lot of guys, he had a brief cup of coffee. Um, you know, when he came up at first with the Dodgers, he's a little bit older, he's 32. So whenever he debuted at 28 with the Dodgers in 2016, which of course, Alex Anthopoulos was in LA, um, he looked really good. Um, and, and there was some thought that he might become like a, a lights out dominant reliever after years in the minor leagues. And then he kind of got hurt, and the Braves brought him around. And once Anthopoulos came over, I think he came over in the maybe the Matt Kemp money swap trade, if, if I'm getting my uh, money swap trades correct here. Um, but the point is they've kept him around for a couple of years, and he really hasn't pitched all that much. Um, he's been okay whenever he's gotten a chance with the Braves. He, made, he appeared in 14 games last year, didn't appear in 2018 at all. Uh, he had Tommy John, I believe, or some kind of surgery. So as you said, the left-handed thing is interesting. Whenever he's gotten a chance, he's generally struck out some hitters, although it's it's a pretty minor sample size at this point. But again, the fact the Braves have opted to keep this 32-year-old lefty around who really has, let's see here, he has a total of 62 big league innings under his belt, and he's 32 years old, um, leads me to believe they might think there's something there. Um, but again, I think you're you're talking about a guy who, at most, to begin the year, might be your, your eighth guy in, in the bullpen um, so I don't know, I guess it, it really will come down to what happens with Sean Newcomb. Um, and then of course, AJ Minter and, and Dayton really feel like the two guys battling cause they're both left-handed. Yeah. I mean, looking ahead slightly and we'll come back to Newcomb later, but I do think that his role may, I won't say will, but may and probably will, uh, impact Grant Dayton unless, I mean, Dayton is a talented guy. I think when he looks good, he looks good. But if you have Newcomb in the bullpen and you project that, it does take away a little bit of the need for Grant Dayton. But if Newcomb is a starter, which might happen, considering yeah. the uh, weirdness of the rotation right now, um, that might open the door for someone like Dayton. You mentioned A.J. Mentor. Let's talk about him now real quickly. Mentor, of course, the former closer. Um, 
you know, super talented guy who was supposed to be the next great reliever for the Braves. That has not worked out terribly well. Obviously, he had the injury last year um, and, and the ineffectiveness last year. What do you make of Mentor? Because he's around. It's not as if he couldn't make the team, but I think if you like, kind of, I don't know, glean something from the way that he's been covered by the guys yeah. who are around the team, it doesn't seem like he's, you know, necessarily at the top of mind. So he's only, he's only 26, which yeah. if you look at his numbers, you would say, all right, only 26, still pretty talented guy. He was legitimately good as of, you know, less than two years ago. 2018 was his best season in the majors. He had a low threes ERA. He was worth 1.4 Fangraphs war. But last year in 29 innings, he had a 7.06 ERA. Like that is just very yeah. bad. And he was bad. You know, he wasn't bad in the minors, which is worth pointing no, out. No, he's he was, actually pretty good. Yeah. So he wasn't bad in the minors, which is, that's a good thing. But something happened where he stopped throwing strikes, and that was always the problem, or at least the worry with Minter was this was the lack of control, and uh, he just could not find the plate. And when he did, it was getting pounded last year. So, yeah, is he a thing? I mean, if he's if he's his best, he's obviously a part of the he's obviously a part of the bullpen. But I'm not sure what his best looks like anymore. Yeah, they were talking to um, I forget what coach. Maybe it was Snit. Uh, maybe it was Kranitz. But uh, you know, it seems like that car, the car accident that Minter was in last spring training, was worse than what was originally let on. Um, you know, it was kind of a lost 2019 for him. As you said, he was really good in 2018. Even when he got his first taste of the big leagues in 2017, he was impressive. Um, and of course, you know, it's easy to forget that in 2018 he was worth 1.4 WAR, had a, a FIP of 2.72. Good strikeout, pretty solid walk numbers as well. And last year was just it just never clicked. It sounds like they even rushed him back, or he rushed himself back after missing the first couple of weeks. I think he ended up missing like the first month of the year, if memory serves, because of the shoulder injury. So, who knows how healthy he is? Hopefully, he's able to bounce back because if he's even close to the guy he was in 2017, 2018 for the Braves, that's a big, big left weapon uh, to use. It would take some of the burden off of of Will Smith, presumably, if they need a lefty. Um, but again, that is a fairly big if, and we just don't know how healthy that shoulder is. Yeah, it's uh, obviously a big, a lot of lots of ifs there. But Minter and Dayton, at least for my money, are the two left-handers. Unless, unless I'm just missing somebody that have a chance to make the bullpen that are not Will Smith and Sean Newcomb. Yeah, so, at least to start. Yeah, yeah, it's open. It's open the season anyway. So those those are the guys to circle on that front. Um, on the other side, there's a bunch more names, uh, none of which are like terribly interesting to me, unless you just like. I don't even know how to say his name. Is it Huascar? You know what? I can't. I, I, I yeah. have no idea how to say his name. So I'll be <laughs> Close. Honest. I think people know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that guy. Uh, but you have, you have Chad Sabaka. You have, you have Jacob Webb. You might have, you might have Patrick Weigel. There's been some noise there about him in the bullpen. Yeah. Um, he's a talented guy. Um, you have you have, you have Yanoa. You have Tuki potentially could be there. I, I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but that's at least conceivable to me. Uh, and then Jeremy Walker, who had a cup of coffee at one point, um, and then Josh Tomlin is almost in his own category. He's on a minor league deal with the Braves, and if he is the guy he was last year, he would obviously just be a long man. That's what he does at this point, and he was pretty good at it last year. He was useful enough. So if he makes the team, we know what role he'll be in. That's the role that only make, only, only role that makes sense for, for Josh Tomlin in 2020 is as, you know, emergency long man guy. But, I mean, somebody else probably makes the team out of this selection, especially yeah. if Newcomb is not... Um, in the bullpen, at least one of these guys makes it. Um, do you have a pick as to who that might be? I, th- I think Sabak has been the guy we've, that we've seen the most of of this group, yeah. but I've never trusted him, to be honest with you. So, no, no. Uh, Sabak is either three strikeouts on 11 pitches or the game, like he's given up six runs in, to three batters, <laughs> and you just don't know what happened. Yeah. 
Um, no, I mean, you talked about a handful of, of guys there. I think Jacob Webb is somebody who got some, some, uh, ink early in the spring and he was really pretty good last year before he got hurt. Um, a guy who was projected to be part of the bullpen last year and was, and was pretty good. Not, not great. Um, but I think he's now that he's healthy, I know Snit was talking him up. So I think he has a bit of a leg up on people. Um, Tukey Toussaint's an interesting guy to me because he had all this helium a few years ago and had a couple of starts uh, late in 2018 and, and really would flash that big, that big curveball that everybody loves so much in the fastball. And then 2019 was kind of a lost year for Tukey. He was not great in the minors. Um, he, he had a very limited run with the big league club and, and wasn't great for the most part. Um, but he's, you know, a year or two removed from a guy who people were looking at is if not a middle to top of the rotation starter, then potentially a lockdown reliever. So, um, I think 2020 is a big year for Tukey. Um, we've seen at times how dominant he can be with that two pitch mix. He does feel like at this point, more of a reliever, uh, than a starter though. I would argue you should probably keep trying him as a starter until he just says, Hey, I, you know, I can't do this or, um, it's time to make a change. But, um, of those guys, I would, I guess if I had to bet on one of them, uh, excluding the lefties, I would say Jacob Webb is probably the front runner of this group based on just guess, you know, in the, what are we day four of, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too early to really know, but I, I kind of agree. I mean, there's been, I would say other than Webb, the other, the other guy who's gotten the most attention, it's probably Weigel in terms of like the way they've been covered. Yeah. There's been some noise about Weigel and I would defer to the prospect guys. I've only seen him pitch a couple times, frankly. Um, but the numbers are pretty interesting. And if he's just a reliever now and you know, it's interesting to me, uh, but you know, at, at this point in the calendar, Again, barring injury, we know six or six or seven guys. And if you told me any of these names made the team, I wouldn't be terribly shocked. You know what no. I mean? I mean, no. even if it's Jeremy Walker, who's like not sexy, but he was good at times, and he he got to the majors once already, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be wouldn't be surprising to me if he made it again. Um, I don't know. I have no I have no takes. I mean, if Josh Tomlin, here's a question for you: If Josh Tomlin looks like Josh Tomlin, would you want him in that? long reliever role is there enough use for him to, to carry him on the opening day roster in that you know three inning mop up or long man yeah role? um you know it's interesting somebody kind of posed the question who knows if he'd be open to it but you also have felix hernandez who's kind of in that innings eater mold that <laughs> yes, Tomlin is um so i i don't know if if they do they need to guarantee i mean I, I know they're both making minimal money but do you need both of those guys on your roster on opening day i don't know i mean could you could you survive without a long man in the bullpen for the first two or three weeks until Hamels gets ready and then shift King Felix into that role? Yeah, I, I think Maybe. if you um, – I don't know. I think if you – if there's ever a time when you don't need that guy, it's then when yeah, your bullpen's yeah. probably fresh. So, yeah, unless they just think that, you know, Tom was on a minor league deal, so unless they're just in love with him. And he was good last year in that role. He was. But he's not someone that's going to blow you away either. I don't, you know – It'd be hard to tell when Josh Tomlin loses it, if that makes sense. <laughs> until you see him in re- yeah. until you see him in real action, because like he's not an impressive looking guy anyway. He just doesn't walk anyone ever. So if he's walking guys, maybe 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 that's the indication that he's done. But um, yeah, I mean Felix is the ultimate wild card, and we'll save most of that for the rotation preview. But like, I don't know, man. If they if he looks like he's going to be useful, then your your sequence does make some sense. But does he want to be a long man? I mean, I don't yeah, know. I, don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. And would he be happy in that role? Would would it be better off for them to mutually part? And would he again, want to retire? I mean, that's the thing. Like, he might right. retire 
if, if, if his options are a long man or not long man, he might retire. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he wants to do, but it seems like, I mean, I guess the Braves are a winning team. So maybe he would be more likely to hang around in that role because yeah. he might want to win. Um, I get that. But yeah, I mean, they're as funny as this is, as funny as this is to say out loud, Josh Tallon and Felix Fernandez are pretty similar. That is funny to say. They really are. I mean, but, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two and I mean, my feeling on Josh Tomlin, who filled his role admirably last year, but yeah. for the most part, and I don't have this number in front of me, but doesn't it feel like that if Josh Tomlin is, was in the game last year for the Braves, it generally meant they were going to lose, right? Like, like there wasn't ever a real Either role. they were going to yeah. lose or they were up by a million. Right, um, and, was... and he needed him. And then if you're up by eight runs against the Marlins in the eighth inning, you can probably throw any reliever who hasn't pitched, you know, in a couple days yeah. out there to I mop mean, it up. As much as I said the thing about like three innings at a time, Tomlin appeared 51 times last year and threw 79 innings. So it wasn't like he was always the only long. Like he did some like one inning relieving last year. It wasn't like he yeah. was only the you know guy gets rocked and he comes into the third inning guy. Like he did a little bit of that. He was the long man. That was his role. But he didn't throw 120 innings. Like he threw 80 innings, which is not a small number out of the bullpen. Like that's a pretty good number, but. Yeah, fifty one appearances. That's not that. It's not that crazy, man. His career walk rate is one point two nine. Yeah, he he just throws strikes, and if you hit it, you hit <laughs> it. And I mean, you're gonna hit it, right? He doesn't really strike that many guys out. He doesn't walk that many. And if the ball gets, if the ball lands and doesn't find a glove, you get on base. And if it doesn't, then you're out. Yeah, there's some value in Josh Tomlin, uh, I, but I do think that he is very replaceable. So, yeah, at the end of the uh, spring, you have to make a roster decision, and if you know, if you're worried about if you're worried about jo- keeping Josh Tomlin because you because you're afraid to lose him, I wouldn't be in that. No, way. and I, I mean I don't know his contract situation, but he's also a guy who I mean who knows maybe there are. Granted, he signed a minor league deal on the first day of spring yeah. training, so you could probably sneak him to Gwinnett, or he might be up for Gwinnett if if that appeals to him, and just kind of have him ready on the shuttle. But uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine there's going to be 15 teams lining up to sign him if the Braves say, hey, we just don't have a spot for you. And last thing on Tom before we move on, because he's not that important. Um, you know, some of the value that you would have in a long man is to have them make an emergency start. And you don't need that on this team. They have a million guys in Gwinnett that can pull up yeah. to start. So that value is diminished. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Okay. Um, before we get to the locks. We mentioned we, we mentioned Newcomb a few different times. I'm on record as thinking Newcomb is going to be a reliever moving forward, but the the roster logistics right now with Hamill's injury, I think I probably would bet on Newcomb starting to open the season just because of the way things are breaking down and like reading between the lines. Um, I, I wish he was a I wish he was a reliever. I think he's a, actually like a good reliever. Whereas I think he, I think he can be a league average starter. That that's definitely possible. Um, and if you can get that, I, I guess there's value in that. But he is better as a reliever. That's kind of documented at this point. But we'll see. Um, but if he's in the bullpen, he's going to be good, I think. If he's not there, he might be there later on. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I'm not even yeah. sure how to, how, to, how to discuss Josh, uh, how to discuss Sean Newcomb. But yeah, no, I mean, I think at this point, like we we've talked ad nauseum about the control issues and is he ever going to throw strikes? And, and I mean, I'm, I'm inclined. It sounds like you are, this kind of is who he is. He's never going to be this guy who doesn't walk people or get his walks down. He's never consistently shown at any level that he can throw strikes and not walk people. Even in the bullpen last year, he had a couple of good spurts and don't get me wrong. He was much, he was far more encouraging in the bullpen than he was as a starter. But even then, if you look at his numbers as a whole, 
they still weren't great by any means. Um, you know, I, I am absolutely rooting for Newcomb to this spring make five starts and walk, you know, three batters in 20 innings or whatever he's going to throw. I would love to see that. I would love for him. He is far more valuable to the Braves if he makes 30 starts this year oh, yeah. than pitches in, you know, 50 relief appearances. Yep. I, I just don't necessarily believe it's going to happen. I hope I'm wrong. I, I've certainly been wrong before. Um, but ultimately, unless unless something drastically changes, I think there's also a bit of a concern that last year the velocity dipped whenever he was starting. Um, that's a bit of a concern as well. Um Alas, he will he will get every chance this spring, as you said. The Hamill's injury, he will get at least I would imagine five starts this uh, over the next month to show what he can do. Um, hopefully, it works out. But ultimately, I'm with you. I think he ends up back in the bullpen. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and there is again a non-zero chance where he he just sticks and he's the fourth fifth starter all year long, and that would be great. Um, if not, I think we at least on the bright side, I think we know he's a good reliever if he's healthy. So that's helpful. Uh, moving on to the six guys that we know are going to be there, and I'm going to list them off now. They are Darren O'Day, um, who is a thousand years old, but they, <laughs> who they re-signed, and if, if he's healthy, I think he's a pretty good pitcher. Um, Chris Martin, who they re-signed. Luke Jackson, who was good last year. Uh, Shane Green, Martin Melanson, and Will Smith. And we'll save Will Smith for the end because he was the big dollar acquisition. Um, we'll start with O'Day real quickly. And by the way, as a uh, as a starter here. Um, as a setup thing, I should say, uh, all six of these guys are projected to have ERAs, um, by the advanced metrics, um, the zips projections and all that kind of stuff in the threes. And that is good. Um, we'll take that. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. Darren O'Day is, um, I think the worst of these guys right now, but Darren O'Day used to be a dominant reliever and in his brief time last year, when he finally got healthy, he looked fine. Um, Again, he's a thousand, and if he was just done one day, I would not be as surprised. By the way, a thousand means he's extra thirty-seven. Um, but you know, club option for twenty twenty-one, so they always wanted to have that control over him. And you know, last year in his five innings, he looked pretty good. But what do you make of Darren O'Day? Yeah, I mean, they they kind of waited forever for him to get healthy. They traded for him, of course, in twenty eighteen when he was already done for the year with hamstring surgery, and then had all the injuries last year and. You know, he pitched well enough in September last year to to make the playoff roster. So, um, you know, for two and a half million dollars, if something happens, it's not like you're on the hook for big, big money. And as you said, I believe it's an uh, it's a mutual or a club option for next year um, as well. But um, yeah, if he's if he's your right handed specialist, a guy who's going to come in to face oh, I don't know, uh, Pete Alonzo in the seventh inning of a four-run game, I'm good with it, right? That might, like that a, might happen. Yeah, I mean, or or whoever, Reese Hoskins, or, or whatever, you know, whoever you want to send him up there against. Um, you know, do you want to send him to the Wolves? No. Do you want him to be your ninth inning guy? No. But because of all those guys you just listed off, he shouldn't have to be in that role for the most part. There might be a night or two where he has to work a late inning if the bullpen's been taxed lately, but – Ultimately, if, if he's healthy and the guy who he was last September, I think there's plenty of reason for him to be around and he should be able to stick as long as he's used well, which is usually the caveat with, you know, 95 percent <laughs> of the relievers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's the sixth best reliever and he becomes the seventh best reliever if you have if you have John Newcomb. And that's that's fine. I mean, he's a low leverage guy. He's a little bit older. And, you know, he's making a little bit of money, but nothing crazy. And I think no. he's just going to be solid. If he's not solid, then they'll probably cut bait. 
like they don't have this massive investment in him. So you know, O'Day is by far the least sexy of all these guys, but I think, you know, he has been good. He's got, there's reason to believe that he'll be pretty good again. And if he is your worst, your worst lock of a reliever, that's a, that's a situation that a lot of teams would like to be in. Um, just as a preview for the, well, I'll probably say at the end of this podcast, the Braves bullpen is going to be pretty good this year, at least on paper. Um, it should be. Yeah. La- last year, we were very vocal about how bad it looked, and we were 100% right about that because it was a disaster until they made all the trades. Um, this year, I am not going to sound the alarm like that. This is this is projecting to be a strength. Now, will it be? Bullpens are very volatile. I want to say that out. I want to say that out loud now. For as much as these guys look pretty safe, <laughs> yeah. bullpens are bullpens are the most volatile thing. So yeah. if, if it didn't go well, I wouldn't like be floored. But on paper and and everything that the front office can do, the bullpen looks like a strength to me. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that should be like the title of the podcast. Like yeah. bullpens are volatile. Yeah. <laughs> and end of end of sentence. End of tweet. Okay. Um, Let's go to Chris Martin now. Chris Martin is like the most boring sounding human being because his name is Chris Martin. Other than he's Coldplay's lead singer. Um, but his numbers are good. His projections are good. He was good. Like I think Chris Martin, I mean, yeah. aside from the fact that he got random people mad at him because he got hurt in the playoffs because that's somehow his fault. Um, aside from that, like he's a good pitcher. He's been a good pitcher since he came back to the States. Like he's been effective last year. He was very good. He didn't walk anybody all year basically. And they signed, they gave him an actual deal. I mean, he got, I believe it's 14 million for the next two years. Over two years. That's a good amount of investment. And that kind of shows you that the Braves like him. And I think everything that you see um, for the 33 year old looks to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, on the surface last year, he had a 4.08 ERA with the Braves after the trade, but a 1.63 FIP, a 2.24 XFIP um, for a bullpen that had chronic walk issues, and not even just walk issues, but strike throwing issues. Um, he walked one batter in uh, 18, 18 innings last year after the trade. I think he walked a total of five batters all year long. Yeah, five uh, five walks and 58 appearances. Really impressive stuff, and that's, you know... It, let's see 22 strikeouts to one walk with the Braves um, had terrific ratios across the board did a good job of keeping the ball in the yard uh, which was hard to do last year with the with the gopher ball uh, the, or I guess the golf balls that were flying all over um, pretty good ground ball rate above 50 percent which is good so yeah I mean it was you know anytime as you said you worry a little bit because we've seen so many teams get burned by spending money on relievers but um you know, barring just the wheels suddenly falling off at 33 for him, which doesn't seem likely considering how good he's been the last couple of years. Um, there's a lot to like there, and I think he'll slot in really as he did uh, last year after the trade as, as one of the Braves' reliable guys in the seventh, eighth, even ninth inning. Yeah, I think if Shane Green, um, you know, falters, or if Melanson falters, or Luke Jackson falters, and you suddenly have Chris Martin as your like eighth inning guy, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No. Like he's a good pitcher. I think a lot of teams would be thrilled with he with him as their second best reliever, and he might be the Braves' fifth reliever, fourth reliever. We'll see. But um, he's very good, and I think yeah. that's a very comfortable position to be in. Even by the way, as as compared to last season, would he have entered the season last year as the setup man for the Braves? I think, I think that's probably true. Like Minter was the closer, probably. Yeah. Minter, Minter was the closer on paper a year ago, but he would have been the number two guy probably in the bullpen this year. He's yeah. five or six. If anybody, if anyone wants a good laugh, go look at the Braves' opening day bullpen. We tried to tell year. you. We tried it to tell you. So bad. I, I think, honestly, I think 
two of the guys were still on the Braves' 40-man roster by the end of the year. No, Tomlin it's, it's funny. I mean, it's yeah. funny because as much as we really, really tried to hammer home how bad the bullpen was last year, it was worse than we thought. <laughs> Yeah, it was it worse was. than we thought because we at least thought that Mentor was going to be pretty good, and he was not. Um, yeah. And all and that. Kano getting hurt was a killer. yeah that killed. Them. I mean, every every number of things went went wrong there, but uh, it was also entirely foreseeable, except for uh, the mess that was Mentor. Anyway, uh, back to the guys who are on the team this year. Uh, let's talk about Luke Jackson, who is somehow controversial. I'm not really sure why. Luke Jackson was full stop good last year. Now. I understand why people got mad at him a few times because he gave up a lot of home runs and a couple of bad, uh, I would say, high-profile moments that he had with some blown saves. So I get it in some respects. But Luke Jackson should not have been the closer last year. He was thrust into that role um, out of necessity, and that's not his fault. And if you look at his numbers, look at his profile from last year, 72 innings. He had an ERA under four. His peripherals were even better than that by a large margin. A lot of strikeouts pretty decent walk rate. Like Luke Jackson was good last year. And now that he's not the closer and he's more like the fifth reliever in that battle, in that battle with Chris Martin for number number four status, that's, that's, that's where you want Luke Jackson to be. And if he's there, if he's the guy who was last year and replicates that, you'll feel great about this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at Luke's numbers last year, as you said, thrown into a role, nobody thought Luke Jackson was going to be the Braves' closer and like, August, September, or August, uh, uh, May, June, and July before the trade deadline, right? Like, no one saw that coming. Um, you know, 13 strikeouts per nine, walk rate was okay, home run rate was okay. Um, as you said, the, the advanced metrics really liked him. Um, I like Luke Jackson. I know he, he's gotten some everyone, – everybody remembers when you give up a couple of runs in the ninth inning, but no one remembers if you give up a couple of runs in the seventh inning of a you know of a 3-3 <laughs> game, right? Exactly. Like you just don't remember it like that. So um, I like Luke. I think he um, – again, as we said, he's not going to be counted on, or at least it's hard to imagine a scenario where he's heavily counted on in the late innings again. Um, but if he could be the exact same guy in the middle innings for the bullpen – rotating with Green and Martin and, and O'Day and those guys, um, especially with his reverse splits, the way he's so much better against lefties with his slider. Um, I think he can be a real weapon and maybe a reason why, depending on what happens with Newcomb and, and those other guys we talked about, why they may not feel the, the need to carry two lefties because Jackson's reverse splits are so great. Yeah, that's a good point. And we saw something that we talked about quite a bit last year, but it's worth uh, stating again here. But I mean, I think objectively he was quite unlucky last year in pretty much every way. Yeah. Um, and still managed to post an ERA of 3.84. And like that, that may not sound incredible, but for what he's making, which is just basically peanuts, you'll take that all day. Even with the bad luck, he was still an effective pitcher last year. And, you know, he was the only, literally the only guy on the roster and the, from the from the reliever core last year that performed better than expected. <laughs> um, coming yeah, in, coming mean, into the season, three eight six batting average against him or uh, BABIP against him. Like I mean, that's that, that, so unlucky. It's crazy, just what yeah, it is. Like I mean, the home run fly ball rate was twenty five point six percent. That's yeah. insane. No. Like he's not. That's not real for anyone. Anyway, without going too deep into the rabbit hole that we've already done a couple of times on Luke Jackson, he was good last year. I hope he'll be the same guy again. I think the Braves like Luke Jackson, and they have every reason to because he's now been a, I would say, a quality reliever for two, you know, at least for a season and a half with the Braves. So, yeah, we'll take it. Um, moving on from there, unless you have anything else to add about Luke. Uh, no, I'm good. Shane Green is the 
other guy who got some money. He was in arbitration, actually lost his case against the Braves. But uh, Shane Green, of course, re- uh, arrived after being a closer in a, in previous stops. He's not going to be that here. He's definitely not in the closer mix at this moment. Could that change? Absolutely. But uh, 31-year-old right-hander, same kind of thing. He was good last year. Very, very good with the Tigers. Um, famously, I think he overperformed his peripherals in Detroit. Um and I think he probably isn't as good of a pitcher as his ERA and uh, some of the save numbers made it look like at times. But um, he's also better than the guy he was in 2018 when he had a five ERA. That's not that's not what he is. I think he's someone who, you know, for instance, Ziff's projects him at, with, with a 3.7 ERA this year. That sounds about right for Shane Green. Like he's a quality reliever. He's not an absolute yeah. stud, but he's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, notoriously right. Like I think when the Braves traded for him at the deadline, he had the the minuscule ERA, and I mean, you don't. Yeah need a PhD in stats to look at his fan graphs page and go, Oh, there's some, there's going to be some issues. Not a real thing. Uh, Um, yeah. yeah. But again, I mean, it's kind of the overall theme here. If you're not counting on him to be, you know, not just your, your ninth inning closer, but kind of your lockdown reliever for the whole unit. Um, I think there's, there's stuff to like here. As you said, he was kind of all over the place. He did stabilize, uh, nicely. Of course, his first couple appearances after the trade were so bad, um, after just kind of being handed the, the closers job. Um, but he did stabilize and, you know, kind of from mid-August to the end of the season and in the playoffs, he was more the guy who the Braves thought they were going to get. Um, not great. Still some some um, issues with, uh, you know, hard contact and, and walking maybe. A, um, but, you know, you look at him and even his walk rate is, is 5% with the Braves, struck out 21% of the guys. That's kind of, as you said, kind of who it feels like Shane Green is. And if he's your seventh inning guy rotating with those names we've just talked about Um he should be fine in that role. Yeah, I think he just like, you know, just like Jackson and just like Martin, I think he's above average in his role. If you look at an average bullpen, the Braves have a better than average guy in all of those spots. I think, in my yeah. opinion, based at least on, on ones. paper. And, and again, yeah. I, was gonna, I was gonna say again, <laughs> it's it's bullpen. It's very volatile. But coming into the year, uh, if Shane Green's your thirty fourth best reliever, that's pretty good, um, considering where he's been and kind of what he's been in the past. Um, the last two guys are interesting. Uh, it's kind of funny. I think I've been poking around the national baseball folks, um, and so far and leading up to the season. And the consensus is that Will Smith is the best reliever on the Braves team and Melanson's the closer. And those are not the same thing, but, um, all of the, you know, all of the indications, um, are from Snicker and everybody else that is that Melanson's going to be, going to be the quote unquote closer. He's going to be the primary ninth inning guy. But of course, the Braves gave Will Smith a bunch of money, and uh, they're hoping that he's going to be their best reliever because you don't pay a guy three years, forty million to not be your best reliever <laughs> yeah, in <no>. twenty twenty. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Will Smith, we'll go, I guess we'll go with um, let's go to Melanson first because he's he's the returning guy. Melanson uh, found himself in that closer role last year and did a pretty decent job in Atlanta. He used to be a dominant guy in Pittsburgh. Um, he was, I think, over like a three year period had like a sub two ERA with like a hundred something saves. Yeah. He was really good. Um, he's not that guy anymore, but he's a good pitcher. He's now been a good pitcher um, for two straight seasons with the giants. And then with the Braves, when he arrived last year, um, zips has him in the mid threes as well. Projection. Like he's not a Craig Kimbrell dominant throwback closer, but in a similar sentiment to everybody else, if he's your eighth inning guy, if he's your, even if he's your closer, like he, there's a lot of teams that would like to have Mark Blanson um, as their closer and the Braves. Um, he's not, going to be a top five closer in the league like the Braves have had in the past. But even if he's six in that role season long, he's just fine as a closer. 
Well, and you know, I, I was amazed last year when I, you know, when you kind of unwind and take a step back and look at the season as a whole. I mean, Melanson after the trade with the Giants, he was pretty good, but I mean, he was downright dominant with yep. the Braves. Now he was. he was unlucky to be sure. His ERA was, uh, you know, in the upper threes, which you look at and go, well, that's not that good. Um, but you look at Melanson, 21 innings, a 27% strikeout rate to a 2.3% walk rate. I mean, that is elite level stuff. As I said, a 3.86 ERA, but a 1.83 FIP, a 2.16 XFIP. Um, you know, if if you extrapolate that out over a full season, he was worth 0.7 WAR in those basically two months. I mean, that you're looking at a two WAR reliever if he's able to do that over all of 2020. Now, again, there's some questions. He's getting a little bit older. Um, you know, what's going to happen when his his numbers kind of balance out? But again, he was one of those guys, kind of like Luke Jackson, where I think if you ask the casual fan or maybe someone just kind of glancing at his ERA, they go, "Oh, he wasn't that good last year." And and to be fair, he. I think it's worth pointing out he had that one terrible day in Miami was, where he gave up like 11 bloops in a row or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's that there's that one and there's of course game 1 of the NLDS where he got yeah. he got rocked. And yeah. you know, was that and all And you remember that? Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Like I think the perception of Lanson is probably a little bit worse than he actually is in part because of that wasn't his last performance. He actually pitched two more times in the series and pitched scoreless baseball in both games, but the last big memory of Mark Melanson was yeah. the was game one of the NLDS and he was not good in that in that in that appearance. So, yeah. I mean, and is Will Smith better than him? Like, yeah. yes, probably, but not not definitely by any means. And I think Melanson, like again, he's he's perfectly fine. I keep he, he was pretty good in Atlanta last year. I think he's not so old that you would project him to fall off a cliff. Like he's not young either. He'll be thirty five at the end of March. Like, is it possible he slows down? Sure, it is, but. He's locked in at a bunch of money, but that was because of a previous deal. And if he pitches the way he's capable of pitching, if he just replicates last year, he's worth the money. It's fine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, it's you know what you're going to get with him. He's a veteran. He's not going to reinvent himself. He, he throws strikes. And, you know, the whole and, – and, you know, I think most people now realize – kind of like what Josh Hader has become with the Brewers. He might not get the final out, but he's going to get the most important outs for you. Like, who cares when Will Smith, if the Braves utilize Will Smith to his full potential, or, or even Melanson for that matter, you want him to be used in the biggest spot of the game, yeah. right? Like, it, maybe because for every game where uh, you remember that there was a blown save in the ninth inning, well, guess what? Your closer didn't even get a chance to pitch one night because he wasn't used in the seventh or eighth when he was most needed, right? So use your best guys when you can. Um, you know, again, Melanson, where any, any player looks better when you remove his worst appearance, but after that <laughs> dreadful, uh, he had a dreadful appearance against the Marlins. And then a few days later, he gave up a couple of runs to the Mets, but really over his last 15 appearances with the Braves, a, uh, more than a strikeout per inning, a minimal walk rate, a 1.72 ERA. Um, you know, this, this guy is good and he, he got better, I think after the trade, uh, from San Francisco and, and there's a lot to like here. Yep, I uh, couldn't say any better myself, and it's a good point to segue into Will Smith, who, again, is, is making closer-type money, and I think the Braves have been clear that Melanson is the guy, quote-unquote, in the ninth inning right now, but I'm hoping, and I think Braves fans should be hoping, that Snicker does not manage to the old-school closer role. Like At some point, he's going to do that, and that's just what happens. Um, you default to a certain guy in the ninth inning, but I do think and hope that if you get in a situation where you're facing the Nationals in a big game and it lines up for Soto to be in the, uh, for Soto to be in the ninth inning, you want to have Will Smith on the mound. Like I think Will Smith, 
baseline wise is probably the best reliever on the Braves roster right now, based on the last couple of seasons that he's had um, with the Giants. He has, um, you know, two years ago, 2018, he was he was really really good, like low twos FIP and low twos xFIP. He was excellent last year. Was still very good, a sub three ERA. Um, but a guy who, again, he's not prime Kimbrel either. But Will Smith, if he is your setup guy, if you want to put it, if you want to put it that way, or in some some kind of committee with Melanson, these two guys can definitely handle the ninth inning of games, yeah. and they match up very pretty well together. And you know that was a lot of money for a reliever, and I, you know, we I think we're generally okay with it. At least I'm generally okay with it. But um, you know, you hope that it continues. He's not super old nor super young either. Um, he's 30. He'll be 31 in July. So yeah. kind of right where you maybe want him to be. I don't know. I, I'm comfortable with, with Will Smith. Um, obviously, Braves fans are least familiar with him because he's not been on the team. But, um, you know, he got paid a lot of money, and I think he'll be good. Yeah, yeah I mean, I know it's funny because you, know, you think about him out in San Francisco. So when he's on the mound most of the time, it's like 1 a.m. in Atlanta right. locally, right? So, yep. I mean, to give an idea, last year um, – Against left-handed batters last year, Will Smith had a 19.22 strikeout per nine rate with 0.46 walks per nine. So that is a 42 to one strikeout to walk ratio against left-handed batters last year. A a 58% strikeout rate to a 1.4% walk rate. So you can see what I'm getting at here and, and what we've been talking about if if Juan Soto is batting in the eighth inning, Will Smith needs to be in the eighth inning. If yeah. Juan Soto's in the ninth inning, Will Smith needs to be in the ninth inning. With reason, of course. If it's an eight-run game, who cares? But yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would hope that, you know, after 40 years around baseball, that nobody is going to have to spell this out to the Braves' coaching staff for how to use Smith effectively. Um, he was pretty locked into the ninth inning role for the Dodgers or uh for the uh for the Giants, however. Um, you know, they're just kind of at a different stage in their team right now than the Braves are. They're not competing or anything like that for a division, um, whereas the Braves are. So uh, Smith is very, very good. You hope that he continues to be. He's only 30 years old, even though he's been around and bounced around a bit. Um, but an elite left-handed reliever who, um, uh, you know, righties hit him around a little bit last year. I think that's worth noting. He's not perfect by any means. But even then, you look at his numbers and, and the strikeout and walk rates are pretty solid. Um, with with pretty reasonable numbers across the board, uh, but against lefties, he's he's about as automatic as it gets. Yeah, and you know, 2019, like you said, he, he got hit a little bit by right-handed pitching, but even then, I'm sorry, by right-handed hitting, even then, he gave up a uh, 297 on base percentage. It was a little just a little, little bit of power. He gave, gave up nine homers to righties, but um, still a pretty darn good. Um, you know, yeah. his, his, his WOBA, his WOBA allowed right-handed to right-handed batters last year was under 300, which is excellent. That compares to on-base percentage. So that's yeah. obviously very good, even against righties. And it was 166 against lefties. So there's a split there, but still good against righties. And by the way, the same thing with home road splits, people, I saw some people that were worried at the time that he was signed about coming from a pitcher's park in San Francisco. And I get that. He was a little bit better last year at home than he was on the road. And that's to be expected coming from San Francisco, but on the road in 2019, a 3.34 ERA, 279 WOBA. That's very good. And then tw- and in 2018, he was actually far better on the road than yeah, at home. So significantly. Like, yeah. It's all it's all small sample size with relievers just in general. <laughs> it's small sample size. But I have no reason to believe that Will Smith is not going to be good away from San Francisco. And I think his platoon splits are present but not magnified. So 
He's someone who fits the three batter rule very well. I think he's going to be very good. I think if I had to bet on one guy to be the best reliever on the roster, it would be Will Smith. Um, yeah. I'm not, not by a ton. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet my life savings on that because it's a reliever and everything's very volatile. But I think if you just look at the profiles of all these guys, he probably is the best of them all. So we'll see how that all shakes out. And you know, at some point along the line, as we transition to get out of here on this podcast, it's going to be very long. At some point along the line, somebody's going to get hurt or have a bad week or something where you'll have to be making some decisions and sticker have to be managing some guys at the end of the games. But coming into the season, you have to be pretty comfortable with this reliever core. Like if you can fade major injuries here, or like, and I'm talking like a wide swath of injuries. If you just have guys perform the way that they're supposed to perform, which is a big if this is a very good bullpen. Is it, is it the Yankees from last year, the year before where they had like five closers? No, but I mean, you, I can count on one hand the amount of bullpens that I would rather have in the Braves in Major, in Major League Baseball right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, this is, I think, on paper again, on paper. But I think this is probably the best, uh, the best bullpen the Braves have had since the Kimbrel Venters um, O'Flaherty days. Would you agree with that? On paper, yeah. I think coming into the year, particularly depth wise, like yeah, there are. Even if you don't want to count on day, and I'm okay if you don't want to do that, there are five guys that I trust right now. Like, actually trust at this moment. And that's going to change. Somebody's going to have a bad year or whatever. But, you know, having five relievers that I can point to, and, and by the way, that becomes six with Newcomb if, he, if he's in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. But five guys who I actually think are, like, above average relievers yeah. in the same bullpen it's something that has not happened for a while. And obviously that bullpen was just completely dominant from the seventh inning on with those three guys back in the day. And Kimbrel was the best reliever oh, maybe sure. of my lifetime. Like yeah, he was no, incredible. that was a historic bullpen. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. This is probably the best group on paper since then. And, you know, we, we, we've uh, got this point across, but absolutely night and day from April 2019 to April 2020. Oof, like just a ridiculous yeah. overhaul in every way. Yeah. Really, <laughs> it is, and I just pulled it up. Uh, Fangraphs for their, uh, I guess, projections for 2020 has the Braves bullpen number six in baseball. Of course, you mentioned the Yankees, who are head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, the Padres, the Rays, the Brewers, the Mets, though they really believe in Edwin Diaz returning to form after his bad year last year. Yeah. Um, and of course, the Mets seems like half their bullpen is hurt by May one of every year. Um, but yeah, but then that, the that backs it up, though. Number, number, six, number six in baseball is nothing to sneeze at. That's good. I mean, no. does that number, include Newcomb? Um, let's see. Um, it does not. include – it includes Newcomb, but it only has him throwing 20 innings, which seems probably on the low side for, for yeah, bullpen so I, innings. Yeah, you know, I, I get but. that. And by the way, like, I don't know. I just – yeah. balance-wise, I think if you go depth-wise, if you, if you chose – top five or top six the Braves would be right up there with anybody other than the Yankees it's just that they don't they don't have the they don't have the dominant closer which is okay I mean and they might and by the way they might Will Smith might be like Will Smith is capable of putting out a season where he has a sub two ERA and just dominates that is in play I'm not saying that's projectable because it's not but I think Melanson and Smith are both capable of having like a lights out 40 save sub two ERA season yeah I agree with you I don't care about saves but people do which is fine uh, fantasy baseball especially cares <laughs> about saves. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with this bullpen. I think if you ask me to choose the best unit of the three that we're going to preview, I think the bullpen is the best unit the Braves have. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Compared to others, Compared yeah. Compared to others. That's what I mean. I mean, like, if you ranked lineups and you ranked rotations, 
you would not have the Braves ranked as high in Major League Baseball as you do with their bullpen, I would say. Now you got me looking it up. Yeah, I mean, as comparisons, we said, again, this is just a fan graphs projection here based on zips. But, yeah, they had the Braves bullpen sixth among bullpens. They have the Braves rotation 13th among uh, starting rotations. And... I would guess uh, lineup's going to be around 10. That's my guess. Yeah, this is riveting. Uh, this is riveting. No, that's good. Um, oh, yeah. Offense. Sorry, one more click. <laughs> they have the Braves offensively at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 um, among offensive war. Is that full? Uh, that, that's full. Not That's not just bass. That's that's defense included, I assume? Correct, yes. That, so, that, that, yeah. that, will, that, will, that will treat the Braves better than their actual offense sure. only, I would imagine. So um, offensively, yeah, you can probably knock them down a few rounds. Just because you have guys like Ender and Dansby who are better defensively. But anyway, um, sure. that backs me up. Uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad to see that. Um, again, it's it's too early to care about any of that. But I, I think if you just compare units and, you know, bullpen is also less important than the other two. I will point that out to you because they're going to pitch less innings than the starters. And uh, obviously the bats are the most important thing probably. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I think the bullpen is going to be good. I think that's a reason to believe. If you were trying to find reasons that the that, that, that the Braves can, uh, maybe not even, even improve, but just maintain what they were last year, this is a big reason why they they had a non competitive bullpen for two plus months last year, and I think I would be surprised even if they disappoint in the bullpen, they will never be as bad as they were the for two months of last year. I don't think so. Yeah, we'll see. Let's hope. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I feel pretty good. Yeah, me too. I mean, again there's only so much a front office can do to feel good about things on, you know, February as we approach February 25th. But again, on paper, I think there's a lot to like here and sure things can go sideways. Injuries are going to happen. You know, there's a guy who we've probably barely talked about who's going to be a revelation. Um, You know, again, bullpens are easy to address in the middle of the season at the trade deadline and all that. So it's, it's much easier to go out and get a couple relievers than a frontline starter, right. Or, you know, a starting shortstop, but um, again, yeah, a lot to like on paper and, and, um, let's hope we don't have to relive the bullpen of 2019, at least the first four or five months of it, because it was pretty brutal. Well said. Uh, all right, Scott, we've done more than 70 minutes on this podcast, which is a long one for us. Um, but as people probably figured out, whenever we have news on these preview shows, and we had a lot of news compared to normal on this yeah. podcast, it gets kind of long. But that's enough, I think, unless you have final takes on the bullpen that we haven't already offered. No. We've covered it in, in, in mass. Uh, anything you have coming or one or that you want to plug? I, I think we probably have some new listeners coming around this time of year because baseball is coming. So tell, tell people where they can find your stuff if they would like to. Yeah. Um, as, I mean, as always, check out the site. We have uh, recaps every single day of the games, just kind of looking at performances and who stood out. Um, nothing in the in the works uh, writing-wise at the moment, but on uh, the Twitter machine at ScottColeman55. Follow Scott. Follow me if you'd like to follow stuff about the Atlanta Hawks, mostly this time of year, at BT Roland. And uh, please, please, please follow the site on Twitter and on Facebook and also on the site itself at Talking Chop. Um, if you do not already know this, we have another podcast on this feed called Road to Atlanta that is hosted by the great Eric Cole with our uh, minor league guys uh, in, in I would say, in tow, talking about all the minor league stuff. They're going to be ramping up quite a bit and uh, just one subscription needed to this particular podcast feed. So choose your podcast player of choice. Fire off that and you'll get this one um, and the other one for the price of $0, which I hope everybody appreciates. <laughs> um, just one ad in the middle and that's, you got, that's, all you, that's all you have to deal with on this podcast. But uh 
hit the, hit the subscribe button, leave five star feedback, follow Scott, follow me, and Scott, thank you for joining. Thank you for joining me, my friend. We will do it again very soon, I'm sure. Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. As for everybody else, uh, next time, I think it'll be next Sunday. We'll see how that goes. But within the next week or so, we'll have, we'll have another podcast. So stay tuned for all of that.